Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. And this is episode 12. Today we're reviewing Gurren Lagann, part one, the first half of, of the show. You said it wrong. Huh? Gurren Lagann. Gurren Lagann. Uh, <laughs> as always, there will be spoilers throughout this episode, so you have been warned. The show, man. So this is another one similar to our review of Trigun, where this is something that I'm, I guess, a veteran viewer of. Um, I watched it when it premiered, and you have never seen it before, so you're brand new to it. Another show that I'm introducing to your life. Although, I think the first time that I got a taste of the show was when our one friend had cosplayed as Kamina. Yeah. That's the only instance of the show that I, I know. And that's all you need to know. Kamina is all you need to know. Okay, we'll talk about that later because he's the shit. Um, but I think I think this show holds a special place in my heart because at the time it was unlike anything else I had watched. Um, it, it was really unique and I'm not really that into mecha anime. Um, but there was something about this show just, that just drew me in. And I think it's rewatching it again, because I don't think I've rewatched it since the first time I watched it. Um, so rewatching it for the first time, I feel like the explosiveness and this, just the, like the, the dramatics and, and everything being a feast for your eyes and ears in the show is probably what really kept my attention, um, at least in, in the start. Because I would say it has a slower start. Um, it still is very captivating, but the story is kind of basic in the beginning. Um, obviously, it takes a, a sharp left turn by episode eight. Um, but I think just the spectacle of everything that was Gurren Lagann um, is what captured my attention and probably the same for, for a lot of people. And I got to say, like, I, I enjoyed the show. And maybe this is unpopular opinion, but... I think it's just okay for right now, and that's probably breaking your your heart. <laughs> just, but, a, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I agree. Like as with most anime um, that we've watched so far, there is always that slow burn in the beginning where you're still getting used to the characters and um, just the setting and the exposition. Um, but you know, there were. There weren't a lot of moments in the show that really wowed me. But like you said, there's there are the instances where it um, kind of throws you a curveball and catches you off your... Um, or like sweeps you off your feet. But I don't know. I think I for me, I, I have to kind of wait until um, we, f- we watch the rest of the series to really make a, a full, full opinion on the show. But again, I, not that I don't enjoy the show... I think there were higher expectations for this um, that didn't really exceed what I expected of it, but... I think that's fair, because a lot of what you've heard about the show so far uh, is from me, but also from our friends who also watched the show back when it first premiered. And I think Mm -hmm. this is... It's probably a a good thing that I watched it and it had a special place in my heart, um, and you're a brand new viewer, because... I think we're both seeing it from very different lenses. Like, you're 
you're watching it now with a more mature and critical mind mm. um, versus me who's wa- re-watching it for the first time with a ton of nostalgia, which will always which will always cause some bias, um, I think. And I, 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 similar to my thoughts on Trigun, where it didn't age perfectly, I think while Gurren Lagann aged better than Trigun, certainly, um, I think it did age a little bit. And I, I feel that. I, I noticed that. Um, some things that I may have thought were awesome the first time I watched it, I think, are a little less compelling about this show. But overall, I still think it's... it. Watching it again, I feel like it's still just as good as I remembered. So that's that one of the things that I always fear when I rewatch something and why I don't often rewatch shows or replay games is that I'm going to lose that amazing feeling I got the first time because this, if I play it again, I'm going to have a better understanding of it and more, a more critical eye. And I, I worry that I'm going to lose some of that magic um, because of, of that second run through or what have you. And again, I... I'm... I enjoy the show so far. Um, I would have, I hope I can enjoy it on the same level that you do and a lot of our friends do. Um, especially, I know like a lot of you always quote the believe in you that, believe in the you that believes in me. Mm-hmm. And now I finally understand like where that comes from. Um, but again, it's just me coming from a different lens. And maybe I don't really like to use this word, but maybe it's because I'm a little bit too privileged when it comes to some of the anime that I've already seen, um, which is a lot of the more recent animes and a lot of the classics, um, that, you know, maybe I just hold it to an unconscious standard um, in that sense, whereas, like you said, you have it more on a level of nostalgia, and that's what really draws you in about the show. But, yeah, I think it's it's always a good thing when people have different opinions because it makes for an interesting discussion. Yeah, so. for sure. And, I, again, I think because our friends and myself are more of those veteran viewers. We probably hyped it up a lot. Um, and you're right. I think it going toe-to-toe with some of the recent anime, I think it may may not have been held in as high regard. But to me, it's it, it falls under my category as a classic anime for the time that it came out. Um, so I think it, it still holds up because of that. It just... With a lot of things, too, it, the timing was just right for it to come out when it did. But let me ask you this. Do you like mecha anime in general? I'll be honest. This is, like, the first mecha anime that I've watched. Because I, I never really got into any of the Gundam stuff. Um, and even when I first watched this, I didn't... Like, obviously, I knew it was, like, a reference to Gundam. But I, I was thinking more of, like, Power Rangers. Because, you know, like, they they have, like, a mecha in that show. That, Gurren Lagann reminds me of, like the classic 90s Power Rangers that everyone here in, in the States like fell in love with. Um, but yeah, outside of that, I really haven't watched any other Gundam. So I didn't know... To, I didn't even know this was going to be a Gundam um, series. Or not a Gundam, uh, a mecha series to to start off with. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's one thing too, is if you're not into mecha, and which, funny enough, I'm not really into... I, I can watch mecha, but um, like I, I've seen stuff from, you know, the... The, the Gundams of my generation all the way through to Darling and the Franks and I've never been super compelled by any of them. I, I enjoy some of them more and some of them less um, but something about Gurren Lagann, I think everything else around the, the mecha is what really sold it for me. So on the surface, I wouldn't like this show because mm-hmm. it's a mecha anime but with everything else that it offers, I think that's what what sold me. So just, just wondering that because I wonder if that plays maybe a little bit into why someone may 
may like the show less if they're not into Tomeka. Yeah, and I think that's something like common with, um, to give another example, like I don't really like any fantasy genres or like fantasy series, but like at its height, um, I really loved watching Game of Thrones. And it again, it's not because like it had dragons and this whole medieval fantasy story, but I think it's just the, the characters and the drama of that series that really captivated me and then a lot of the uh, demographic that was watching it. And I think that's the case here too, where um, even though it is clearly like a, a mecha anime, a lot of what captivates the audience, myself included, is again what the, the story is and what the characters bring to the table and just what what what's at stake throughout the whole story throughout the whole series so far yeah so let's dive into the episode recap so again this is a review and a discussion on the first half of Gurren Lagann up through the recap episode yeah which oddly enough because I know typically halfway through the season is 13 episodes but in this case there were 16 um and it almost felt like this whole first half was could have been the series itself um but i'll get into that a little bit later uh just to start off gurren lagan known in japan as tengen topa gurren lagan or pierce the heavens gurren lagan is a 2007 japanese mecha anime television series animated by gainax gainax co-produced by anaplex and konami directed by hiroyuki imaishi and written by kazuki nakashima both of whom later collaborated on kill a kill and pro mare Gurren Lagann takes place in a fictional fictional future where Earth is ruled by the Spiral King, Lord Genome, who forces mankind to live in isolated subterranean villages. The plot focuses on two teenagers, Simon and Kamina, who live in a subterranean village and wish to go to the surface. Using a mecha known as Lagann, Simon and Kamina reach the surface and start fighting alongside other humans against Lord Genome's forces before fighting the forces of their true enemy. So starting with episode one, and by the way, these I'm not sure if these are the exact titles. Um, I got a lot of these from Wikipedia. I know different streaming services might have different translations of these titles, but again, to start off, episode one is titled Bust Through the Heavens with Your Drill. Simon and Kamina try to escape their mundane lives in the underground Kiha village. In their last attempt, a wolf-faced gunman appears to terrorize their village in hot pursuit by Yoko, an ace sniper from a neighboring village, but they stumble upon a small gunman buried underground that they use to defeat the intruder and finally escape to the surface. Kamina gives the gunman the name Lagan. In episode 2, I said I'm going to pilot that thing. With Lagan in hand, Simone and Kamina take Yoko back to her home in Littner Village and learn more about the surface world, which is embroiled in constant battles with gunmen and their beastmen pilots. Kamina tenaciously steals a gunman of his own and names it Gurid. In episode 3, who do you think you are having two faces? In the aftermath of the previous battle, the trio proceed to forge for provisions until they encounter a formidable beastman, Viral. In the ensuing battle against Viral, his neo-Shakespearean getup, and his powerful gunman, the Gurren and the Lagan combine to form a new gunman named, you guessed it, Mobile Suit Gundam. In episode 4, having multiple faces makes you great. This is an episode that introduces Kitan and the Black Siblings as the trio faces off against a multi-faced enemy on empty stomachs. But you probably wouldn't be able to see that over how horrendously animated this episode is, with apologies to guest animator Osamu Kobayashi. Yeah, so let's let's talk about this. There are a couple episodes in this first half that 
you simply can't acknowledge if you're going to talk about Gurren Lagann. And episode mm-hmm. four is one of them. And let me just say, it looks like hot garbage. And I know that's, like, nobody liked it. I think um, what I had read about it was you know, the guest animator wanted to do something different, and it was so upsetting for viewers that they basically, I think, either didn't have any other guest animators or didn't move forward with plans to have, like, different art styles or something mm. along those lines, but it people were not happy. And let's be honest, it, it just looked like poo-poo. Yeah, I think you and I talked about it before that it it looks like um like a Newgrounds flash video yeah. off, off the internet. It's terrible. Um, yeah, it was, just looked like it was half drawn at some points and that it was running on like I get what do you call it, like Adobe Flash or yeah. or whatever. That's a good way to describe it. I mean, there are plenty of anime that have guest animators where the art style could slightly be different than normal or could be drastically different. Like I always think back to JoJo Part 4 the episode where um, Jotaro and Josuke are hunting that rat, that's obviously a completely different art style. It looks different. It's a little jarring at first, but it doesn't take you out of what's happening and take you out of the story. This is so... Episode 4 of Gurren Lagann is so incredibly distracting and upsetting and just, like, ugly. So Mm. I I hate to be so harsh, but this is how I I honestly felt the first time I watched it and even now. Um, It's just, like, it's almost criminal. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know if it, it served any, like thematic purpose because again this episode just introduces new characters um so i don't know if that kind of merits a different animation style um but it it really didn't and and even to to that point so what what gets me even worse about this episode watching it again is that not only is it just visually distracting but the writing is just awful like there's no nothing it offers to the story other than introducing Kitana and his sisters Mm -hmm. that's it and it's just like it's so poorly written it's so poorly executed the actual plot and storyline that it's just adding insult to injury the fact that it looks ugly again sorry to be so harsh but then also has like a very flat lined um story is just it's awful I guess yeah now that I think about it 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 does come off as like a one-off episode because I don't think it's totally integral to the overall um, story arc at this point it, it's just again introducing new characters you could right. probably skip it all together because obviously it's a, it's a singular adventure um, within a larger overarching story mm-hmm. so all you need if, if someone just told you there's these new characters Kitan and his sisters and you're going to meet them again later like that's all you need to know and you can skip episode 4 in fact there's a lot of people who say when they rewatch this, this series they skip episode 4 because even if it at least offered something to the plot and was like an interesting story and told well, then yeah, maybe you could justify having your eyeballs, you know, punched in the face by the animation, but it's just not worth it to watch it. Yeah. And what's more interesting is like there are, there are even more outrageous episodes in this first half, or at least <laughs> only two episodes later, I guess. Um, but I would prefer that episode over this yeah. any day. Um, so going on in episode five, I don't get it, not one bit. Team Gurren travels to an underground village that worships gunmen as divine beings and takes part in a ritual to keep the population at 50 and send whoever exceeds that amount to quote-unquote heaven. Since gunmen users attract other gunmen users, an enemy gunman shows up to terrorize the village until the village's gunman deity, piloted by the village chief, 
miraculously takes it down. The chief's young protege, Rosiu, decides to join Team Gurin along with two kids, Jimmy and Derry, after growing dissatisfied with the village customs. In episode 6, actually before I mention I know there was an episode 5.5 that was like a promotional episode for the Gurren Lagan video game. Mm, um, yeah. We I didn't obviously we didn't watch that, but it's out there if if any of you care to care to see it. Um, but in episode 6, which is called it has two titles and there's a reason for it. Sit in the hot tub till you're sick or there are some things I just have to see. In the horniest anime episode I've seen to date, Team Gurren takes a break at a hot springs getaway where we see Kamina become a blatant peeping Tom before the group is attacked by the beastmen's, beastmen who, gasp, were secretly running the hot springs. The team wins the battle and basks in their half-naked glory until Viral and his gunmen, Anki, show up to ruin the orgy, excuse me, party. This episode also introduces the wholesome character, Papa Coco. Yeah, this episode. So <laughs> when I was showing you this, I, I think I, I was alluding to the fact that there are two versions of this episode, and I was very specific that we needed to watch the uncensored version. Mm-hmm. Because I think in the U.S., there, the censored version is the one about like the title with the hot tub or whatever, and there's just... It's it just feels so different. Like yeah, there's still a lot in it, but it's like partly a recap episode yeah. to to cover up all those sections they had to take out because of the censorship. And I was like, no, 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 no. If you're gonna experience experience Gurren Lagann, you have to watch episode six, the real one, the uncensored version, the one that was aired in Japan, because it is crazy. <laughs> this mm-hmm. episode is crazy. Like I I laughed so hard. Like. Just as much as the first time I watched it, like, it, my jaw dropped. Like, it, everything about this was just so out there and unapologetic, and I just enjoyed it. it this episode in and of itself is a wild ride. And one scene that I really loved in particular, I think it's um, Kamina and Shimon, and they're standing on the rock looking up at the moon, and they're they're discussing something, like, almost philosophical. But then you hear the girls in the background in the other part of the hot springs, and I think they're talking about their body parts or whatever and then you just see flashes of of the two guys' faces like reacting to this conversation that they're hearing from the girls like i just thought <laughs> that scene was just very well done yeah so, to show like the emotion that was running through the guys' brains at that moment yeah and then also when um kamina is on simone's shoulders and they're trying to climb over this enormous wall and then they said something like, find a, a hole to, to <laughs> peep through or something. And the kid, I can't remember his name, is like, oh, I found a hole. And, like, they, he basically shoves his finger up Simone's butthole. And the way they animated it was just a black screen. And then from the side pokes his finger. And, oh, my God, it was just, it's so funny. And his little wiener is, like, sticking out as he's running around the hot springs. And I'm like, what is happening in this episode? Mm-hmm. It's like... It's like a train wreck that you're both enjoying and can't look away from. <laughs> Which I think, like, it's... I, I don't think if this episode were to come out today, it it would have probably got, drawn, like, a lot more flack. Um, just because we have we live in different times. Because no one's a sense of humor nowadays. I'm just <laughs> going to say it. Like, you, if, you, you, if you have to accept the show for what it is... I mean, it's so over-the-top in general... It, it, like, does not abide by any laws of physics, right? Mm. And, like, just everything that they do makes absolutely no sense. Like, the manly combining and somehow Lagan is able to fuse with any other, you know, gunman 
that it that it drills into or just like everything about it is just so absolutely ridiculous that it works for this show this type of episode mm. works like it is so out there but if any other anime tried to pull it off they just could not because they are not as out there as Gurren Lagann yeah and again this kind of just overall this episode reminds me of the humor of that time um like early 2000s where I think uh, in reference to, to that butthole um, scene, it, it reminds me of that, that one scene from Spongebob uh, with the, the seahorse and one of the Bikini Bottom citizens tries to find like the the, the coin slot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, that's, that's the humor of the time. Or and, even when... So two other, two, two other parts of this episode that I absolutely love... Um, when the beastmen capture the girls and they have like oh, yeah. the the censorship bars or blocks or whatever over their their bodies and Kamen is like, what is this? Like, how do you get rid of it? And then they make some sort of bargains in, in agreement for for taking down the censorship bars. And it's just them in their bikinis. That was like that was great. Like that 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 was so funny. And then when um, again I can't remember the little kid's name, but when he's got the, the Jimmy or what Jimmy I think yeah Jimmy. Um, when he's got the dial for how hard or lightly <laughs> the towels will compress the, the girls. And Kamina is freaking out. I mean, like, freaking out. Like, like dial it down to zero. Like, just turn all the way to the left. Like, just do it. Because he wants to see them. I'm just like, it is so funny. Like, I, I can't... He like, The fact that, he, regardless of the situation that they're in, that is the most important thing to him in that moment. It's just hilarious. No, yeah, this provides, like, a huge amount of comic relief. Again, in the midst of their their battle with these beastmen. Um, and, I, again, I think it's just reflective of the humor of that time. And it, it's... You just take it for what it is, and you, and you just enjoy it. Um, but, yeah, just a, a very strange episode overall. <laughs> But very good one, too. Um, so in episode 7, you're going to do it. Team Ilf, a.k.a. one of the Spiral King's four divine generals, a.k.a. what happens when you mix Donkey Kong and Bowser and give him King Dedede's mallet, arrives to support Viral with Dai Gunzan, a massive mobile gunman fortress. Simone and Kamina pilot Gurren Lagann to try and defeat the enemy against overwhelming odds until Kitan of the Black Siblings and several other villagers show up with hijacked gunmen to assist. All that was missing is the music from the portal scene in Avengers Endgame. Kamina is convinced to retreat and gear up for a full-scale attack the next day. And in a heart-wrenching episode 8, titled Later, Buddy, or I think Farewell, Buddy, the expanded Team Gurren have a battle of mecha proportions against Viral and Team Elf's forces, but not before Kamina and Yoko share a tender loving moment while Simone looks on in disbelief. They end up taking Dai Gunzen for themselves and rename it as Dai Guren, but Kamina dies in the scuffle and disappears from the anime's OP. R.I.P. Okay. Wait, is that it for this one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is another episode you have to talk about if you're going to talk about Gurren Lagan. So the first time I watched this, I fell for their one-two switch or whatever you call it because they imply he died, but then they're like, oh no, he's alive, and he's even continuing the battle, mm. and then he actually does die, and you're like, oh my god, are you serious? Like, I fell for that. I mean, I was much younger back then. I was less experienced when it came to, you know, anime writing and, and what to expect from these plots, but that hit so hard. Like, oh my god, this is like the most, de- one of the probably most depressing episodes I've ever seen in anime, 
Um, I can name several other ones, not, not that I'm going to spoil those at this moment, but this we'll is look. one of them for me. Like, I, ugh, I, I love Kamina. He is and will always be my favorite character in this show. He just brings something to the table that nobody else does, and he's just so funny, so authentic, and, like, uh, unapologetic, and, and I love his character, and I was heartbroken. So watching this again was equally difficult, for sure. And I, it's a, it's just a very bold move for a series because what this reminded me of, and this is spoilers, although I don't know if this series really matters anymore. It's kind of like Ned Stark in season one of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, where he has, he, you like the show places so much importance on this character only for it to just be suddenly wiped out, and you you feel like the show like they could have offered so much more to the show, and in this case like. I know that there's a narrator who said this is a story of a, was it, was it, this is a story of a person who wanted to challenge destiny or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's, oh, it's strongly implied that it's, they're referring to Kamina, and he, he emerges as like the forefront of the show, um, with again his demeanor and his personality, but just for the show to say never mind, like, kill this guy off, I think it it sets a nice change in tone for the rest of the series because like like i mentioned before like i I was i'm pretty lukewarm i was pretty lukewarm about um the episodes up until this point because i think it just threw a wrench in in the whole um it just threw a wrench in the plans basically yeah that's a very good point so as i mentioned in the beginning of this podcast the the slow start really is up until episode eight because the story is pretty basic like there's some enemies. We don't even know why they're enemies or who they are, but here we are on this journey to defeat the enemies and liberate, you know, the, the humans or what have you. It's, it's just super vanilla, and I can see why it's hard to get into the show up until you make it to episode eight because it takes that sharp left turn and says, actually, just kidding, this isn't what you expected it to be. Um, and to, to your point about, um, you know, comparing this to Ned Stark's death in Game of Thrones... It's almost one of those deaths where it could have just felt like a cheap plot device, but mm-hmm. because the character is so important to the protagonist and to the main storyline, when you really think about it, even though it sucks to admit it, his death, similar to Ned Stark's death, is so critically important to the story and to Simone and his development, even just in these first 15 episodes. Because you think about, like, in the last podcast, or one of the previous podcasts, we talked about uh, Trigun and about Wolfwood's death. That was a horrible death, and I'm like, why do I, why did this need to happen? I think that one I struggle with more, because I'm like, why did this need to happen? He didn't have to die. It wouldn't have changed the story all that much had he lived. Um, And I would have preferred that he lived. But here, this death, Kamina's death, is, is critically important to how the story will play out, and even not to spoil anything for you, but even how it will continue to play out in the second half. So this one I can accept a little bit more than other deaths because the other deaths in anime because of the way it's interwoven into the overall story. But then that also brings up the question, did Kamina have to die in order for Simone to mature as a person? Obviously that's what happened is he died, Simone, which we'll talk about in... Um, in the recaps of the the next couple episodes but Simone takes it very very hard but then his tone shifts when he realizes that Kamina was there to encourage him and and to to bring him up to the level that he needed to be to be a leader but 
some of the things that I always kind of think about is, did he have to die for Simone to become that mature or could have with a little bit of time and energy, um, Kamina, you know, could he have taught Simone to be that leader? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I kind of see it going, uh, two ways. One, if Kamina were to have lived, um, I think Simone would have just constantly lit, uh, been in Kamina's shadow. Because uh, it was clear from the first couple episodes that um, Simone is just very timid, unsure of himself, and Kamina is always there to be the one like to tell him to, to get going. But you can still see like Kamina has that leadership quality in him. And the second way I could see it happening is like maybe Kamina does mentor um, Simone if he were to live throughout the rest of the series. But in some cases... Or I would see that as maybe later on they would butt heads more and kind of fight over leadership of the team, which I guess would be a development or character development in itself. Um, but I think at this point of the series, Kamina did serve his purpose as a character. Not to say that he was a plot device, um, but just because of his nature and because I think it's this is where the point in the series where it starts to focus more on Simone's story like I think having him killed here is it's semi-justified yeah no it makes sense like I said I I can accept this death a little bit more than other deaths in anime because of the significance and the weight placed upon it versus just a death for the sake of having a death um in the show and I so one other thing about this this episode in particular I wanted to mention is the the kiss between Yoko and Kamina because I shipped the shit out of them. And obviously mm-hmm. I was like, when the first time I watched this, I'm like, well, there goes that. But I still ship the shit out of them because I love them together. And I, I thought that this was so well done. It's not in your face. It's not out of, you know, out of left field or unexpected. And it's just subtle. It's just a, a simple, like, nice moment between the two of them. It's nothing like despite the show being very lewd at, at, at times, it's very wholesome and heartwarming, especially knowing that Kamina dies, dies shortly after. It's kind of like a nice last moment between the two of them. Um, so I just thought that that was such an interesting approach for this particular show. Because again, this show is a spectacle for your eyes. It is over the top. It is crazy. It doesn't make sense at times. Again, it's it's very lewd and, and, uh, and, and just has these crazy, crazy references, but this was such a contained and soft and nice moment that I was just like, oh my God, I I get like warm fuzzies thinking about it. And I'm like, I, it's crazy to have that kind of range in the show. Granted, it was one small part, but just to be able to showcase that range and that you can have these types of situations in the same show, I thought was really nice. Yeah. And I just to address this, I know like one downside of, of this, that particular scene happening is and we talked about this before, is like you kind of expected, oh, this is probably the demise of Kamina. Because the show is so focused on giving him this really nice moment. And even some of the, like he says, like, I will, I'll return this to you after the battle. Like, 10 times over. 10 times over. And that, like, back in my head, I was thinking, okay, that's just. That's just a death. This bitch is gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's like, um, it's like when, and this is more tropey, I think, than that in anime. When an episode starts off with a character's background, 
Like with mm-hmm. Wolfwood, it starts off like out of nowhere. This the episode he dies is also the episode that starts off with like his background story and like builds his character up and like they, they off him. And I'm like, okay, that's really typical. Or in JoJo Part Five, spoilers when they kill off Narancha, but he has like this beautiful moment and like this really mm-hmm. nice speech, all that shit. It's like you know it's coming, and and so I think that that's. Yeah, I, I can definitely see what you mean. Like that—that that is a huge red flag because it's so tropey in anime yeah. to have those warm, fuzzy build-up moments and then just off a character immediately. But then on the bright side, it is good to see like some resolution of the relationship between Kamina and Yoko because it doesn't leave you questioning like, what if? Because I know there—I can't think of any right now, but I know there are instances, not just in anime but in other shows in general. Where if there's a character that dies and whoever's left like regrets not taking certain actions with them or um, showing like true feelings for them. Yeah, that's very that's very true. Yeah. It's comforting to know that they had their moment. Yeah, so there is that that closure there. But again, R.I.P. Kamina, and we won't see him in the OP. Okay, wait. Yeah, that's one more thing. I'm sorry, <laughs> I have to talk about that too. That is heartbreaking to see him die. Like, just go into depression mode, and then the next episode, they're like, oh, well, he's out of the beginning. Like, we, we've caught him out of the opening. You've got Nia in here now. And I'm like, okay, as much as I like Nia, like, that is so painful. I'm like, dude, that's brutal. That's <laughs> brutal to just take him out of the fucking thing and not even have him at all, at all in the opening. Like, I know there's that, that moment at the end where, um, at the end of the opening, where uh, Simone will, will like, tighten his armband which is the the piece of cloth that he grabbed from Kamina's dad's cape when Kamina found it but I'm like that's it like that's criminal to me I'm like how can you take this awesome character and not at least have a reference to him in the opening when you are immediately just plucking him out of there and putting some bitch in there again I love I love Nia don't get me wrong but putting some bitch in there in his place like that was like that was so brutal it was like kicking you when you're down that's what that yeah. felt like it's kind of, it's kind of like you know the way I look at it is, like, with the NBA, like, when the Bulls traded Derrick Rose, like, Derrick Rose was the face of that franchise, and then he gets traded first to the Knicks, and now he's been switching teams. But, like, I feel like you don't see him in any other, any more promotional images for the Bulls. It's like you just cut off that relationship. Yeah. Like, man, that's rough. But life goes on, and hopefully we'll see that, we'll see that with Simon through this recap. Um... Moving forward, episode 9, titled What Exactly is a Human? Team Gurren mourns Kamina's death, but no one is more afflicted than Simon, who deals with his big brother's loss in destructive ways to the point where he can no longer pilot Lagan. After ending up in a valley, he opens a capsule thrown away by a silhouetted gunman and discovers a mysterious young girl named Nia. They narrowly escape the clutches of a horse-faced gunman and head back to Dai Gurren, which is subsequently attacked by a DNA another of the Spiral King's four divine generals. Nia intervenes and reveals herself to be daughter of the Spiral King. So this episode, I want to mention one thing about this. Um, actually, two things. One, like, Nia's voice, I get it, she's cute and all that stuff, but, like, I'm like, God damn it! just use your full voice. Like, speak. Just say it. Just stop mm. it. Like, just talk. Or, like, when she's trying to yell to in later episodes, I'm like, oh, just talk. Um, so her voice is not my favorite. And I think you commented on that too. Is that like, wow, what's up with her voice? Yeah, it's, it's just constantly like this. Yeah. It's almost like Bonnie from Family Guy. (laughs) Like, as like, 
she I know like her voice is raspy, it's but it's just annoying to listen to. And I think that's the same case with Mia. Yeah. And Although it, it, it kinda tones down, I notice as as the episodes go on. Yeah, she gets better and better about it, but I'm still like, just speak. Just use your mm-hmm. full range of, of your vocal cords or whatever. Um, but what I really liked about this episode was that obviously Simone is depressed as fuck and no one can blame him. And you can almost want to punch Kitan in the face for being a dick about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's rough. Like, it's only been seven days since Kamina died. And this is someone who is basically uh, Simone's only family. But when he... So he's... The, the whole episode, when he's on screen for the most part, is just clouded in gray colors. Like, very blatantly showing that he is depressed and then when he opens the box that Nia's in she is the only color in that that gray uh, space I never noticed that. and then when she I can't remember what she did either she like reached out her hand or said something to him that kind of gave Simone a, a bit of confidence and that's when the clouds start to part and you have rays of sunshine coming down and then there's full color and then even Simone is back in full color again um, so I was like, that is so awesome. Like those visuals, while they are pretty, um, there's nothing subtle about them. I just thought it was very, very nice, um, to kind of acknowledge Simone's depression in that way and, and what he's dealing with by, by clouding his world in gray. But then when he meets Nia, someone who doesn't even know who he is, but already believes in him and will play an important part in, in, you know, the future events, um, for his story for for her introduction into his life being the color and the the motivation that he needs to go on now that he has this hole in his heart i thought was was great um what do you call it like a great motif i guess mm-hmm. the, the colors and, and everything yeah and you know i when he first discovered her i i thought you know she looked like she was just gonna be a random sex doll <laughs> but when she threw that curveball at the end of the episode where she reveals like she's the daughter of the spiral king it's like okay maybe she will serve a greater purpose in the show rather than just being like lolita eye candy or something yeah um in episode 10 titled who is this bro the dna decides to retreat from attacking team Gurren, and nia learns more about kamina and his significance in simone's life and behavior and just a quick aside, I love this scene where <laughs> I think Kitan is trying to get information out of her, but she keeps questioning him. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. like, oh, what is killing her? Like, her, what is this or what is that? And he's like, <laughs> he's angrily answering back. It's just so funny. Yeah. Um, so Nia comments on how he is obsessing too much over Kamina's loss and that Simone should be proud of his independent actions, which draws Gyoko's ire. DNA returns to kill Nia and exchanges words with her about who is justified in killing the other's team. The general squares off once more against Team Gurren until she is rescued by Viral and his Shakespearean glory. In episode 11, Simon hands off. Simon? Oops! Simon hands off. Team Gurren falls into a thirst trap set by Guam, or as I'd like to call him, Guam Torino, the third member of the four divine generals. Nia talks about her father with Guam Torino who explains that the Spiral King tosses his children slash concubines away like dolls once he tires of them, or they become too independent. The team awaits their imminent death until Simon digs them an escape path and finally grows a pair of balls. He declares himself as Simon the Digger, vows to carry out Kamina's ambitious spirit, and becomes the de facto leader of Team Gurren. So this episode I do want to mention, um, there's one part here where um, Simon tells uh, Nia that 
Kamina, and it may have been the previous episode, I'm not sure, mm. but essentially he tells uh, Nia that Kamina is the person who would help them or help him when they were stuck. So he uses that example of, you know, when the, the cave collapsed or the tunnel collapsed back in their village. Um, Kamina was the one who was like, no, we can do this, we can get out of here, and encouraged Simone to take charge, in which case Simone was able to dig a tunnel and rescue everyone um, or get everyone out of that situation. And then we find out later in this episode when uh, he's talking to Yoko that Yoko actually found out from uh, Kamina the um, the opposite thought in that situation where Kamina said that it was actually Simone who kept him motivated and kept him going because while he had a smile on his face, in his mind it was all just um, a facade just to keep everyone kind of calm, but he himself was doubting if he would be able to get everyone out of the situation, but because Simone was there to support him, he was able to, to you know, think quickly and get, get everyone out of that sticky situation. So I think that's so important because we know very clearly by this point the effect and the influence that Kamina has on Simone. But this is the first time that we're really understanding that Simone also had an incredible impact on Kamina, and that's why they they call each other like blood brothers and and all of that. Um, So I think that this is that part in this episode is is so important, and I think it rounds out Kamina's story very nicely because it did at certain points feel very one sided. Um, that, you know, Simone was only only dependent on Kamina and not the other way around, especially when. They're fighting um, in the episode where Kamina dies. They're they're fighting and and Simone like shuts down. And he can't do this anymore. So Kamina runs over to him and punches him in the face and says, mm-hmm. "Anytime you doubt yourself, I'll be here to pelt you in the face to to, you know, get you on the right path." Um, but then to finally see, even after his death, his his story kind of come full circle in a sense, and show that that he needed Simone just as much as Simone needed him was really really nice. Yeah, and I think. You know, I I really enjoy that that um, that ploy of again two perspectives of the same story. Um, I get to do like a Star Wars reference. It's similar to like the Last Jedi, where um, Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren have different stories about uh, how Ben Solo became Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular case, I think, like you said, it's important for Simone because not only does it reveal that you know Kamina had his like his fears and doubts and he was those were called by Simone digging out of that hole um and the story that he was recounting but I think it also it gives Simone more autonomy over like him having confidence in, in himself without anyone else establishing that for him if that makes sense yeah it's almost like the one person in this world who's you know, flawless in terms of confidence and ability actually did rely on Simone who constantly doubted himself. Like for him to be able to say, mm-hmm. I was the motivation for this person who seemed to have it all together. I think helped him to realize I can do this. Like, um, that Kamina really did believe him. And the whole thing just like really stresses and reminds us post death of the importance of Kamina and Simone's relationship. Right. And it, and it affirms what, I don't know if it's something that Nia said before, or maybe this is coming up, but it, it basically affirms what Nia said, and that like she like she trusts that Simone is always going to come out victorious in the end, because um, again, it's establishing like you know that his confidence, his self esteem was inside him all along, and he and maybe like Kamina was there to to 
to bring it up to the surface but again like Simon can become like he is his own person and he if if he just use, utilizes this confidence much like how his, his mental capacity or like his mental strength is what fuels Lagan or Gurren Lagan um, he has that potential um, to be his own person and to, to lead the team um, to the, the ultimate victory against against the Beastmen um, so I really like this episode because it, it just just that plot again of Simon breaking out of his shell um, just really reminded me of you know like All Might's final showdown with um, All for One like mm-hmm. it just had that same impact um, and when Simon just cl- declares himself Simon the Digger um, and he like he puts together I don't know if it's in this one but it's just a really powerful moment where he declares like that he is his own person like it gave me like goosebumps so this was a really enjoyable episode to watch yeah and Midoriya is basically uh, another Simone like they are like the same and they even Mm -hmm. sound the same those voice actors are different people but they sound very much the same at certain points yeah so even though yeah it's two different voice actors but although I think the voice actor for Simone was in Caroline Tuesday I forgot what what character Aaron I think or somebody yeah I don't know if that was the like the second hand um for the band manager yeah oh side note while you're bringing up voice actors communist voice actor is Diavolo's voice actor in part five of Jojo which is phenomenal I caught on that right away but I was telling you that when I first watched this show it was kind of at that time where I was transitioning from dubs to subs and so I wanted to I, I watched this sh- the show subbed but I was curious to know about the dub especially knowing that there were some big names in the show um like Johnny Young Bosch Yuri Lowenthal is that you say his mm-hmm. name um mm-hmm. Steve Blum Steve Blum and I watched a clip of Kamina and I'm sorry to that voice actor but he does not do Kamina justice the way that the Japanese voice actor does I mean to me it was night and day like the the Japanese voice actor was phenomenal like over the top perfectly matched to the tone of the show and then i watched the english or the dub and i was like oh this is really poo poo so i think that this was the show that permanently got me on the the sub train after that because i was like subs all the way just surprising me because again those are three big names in in voice acting uh and i don't know if that was one of the ones who voiced kamina but yeah again if you're if you're watching like a show made in japan why not watch it with with the japanese actors hell yeah (laughs) um in episode 12 yoko will you do me a favor on their way to the beastman capital of teppelin team guren stumbles upon a vast ocean and must wait for liron to make modifications to the daiguren before crossing it allowing the anime to check the industry standards beach episode off its list Yoko starts feeling uneasy about the attention that Nia is getting from the team because of course she does. A DNA and Vero launch a surprise attack, but the general is blown to kingdom come, Shakespeare Jr. survives and is washed ashore, and Squidward makes a cameo in probably one of his most important performances since the Bubble Bowl. Yeah, if you if you didn't notice that, in the background um, behind Vero, uh, there's like a shot of a Squidward knockoff character. Look, you'll see it. Google it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's just funny that they took the time to animate that but it fits because it was like an underwater battle episode 13 eat up everyone nia decides not to remain a useless npc and becomes the team cook but before the team can try out her dishes copacabana saitomanda the fourth member of divine generals launches an aerial attack on the daigoran 
Simon and Yoko team up to fend him off in Gurren Lagann, which levels up and now comes with wings. Niral is taken before the Spiral King and asks why humans are so special compared to Beastmen, a mystery that will be solved once the Survey Corps reach the basement. Oops, wrong anime. In episode 14, well met everyone. Team Gurren all of a sudden ends up in the outskirts of Teppelin and faces down a combined full-scale attack of Copacabana, Saitomanda, and Guam Torino's forces, a battle which has apparently been raging on for six days, but we don't need to worry about that. A bunch of humans inspired by Team Gurren arrive to help them in the battle, and Gurren Lagan meet-spins the shit out of the final two Divine Generals. But before they can even set foot on it, Teppelin is revealed to be, gasp, a gunman itself. In episode 15, I will head towards tomorrow in what could have easily been interpreted as the final episode of the series, Team Gurren faces off against the Teplin Titan. The Die Gurren is partially destructed in a kamikaze move against Teplin, and Simon and Nia go off to face Jet Black the Spiral King in all his bearded glory. Simon pierces his Jet Black hole of chest hair, and the Spiral King warns him of an even bigger threat before he falls into the abyss. The battle concludes after seven days, and Team Gurren emerges victorious... Question mark? I love this episode. Um, I thought it was the most satisfying episode so far. Um, it was just, it was awesome with lots mm. to discover and lots left. Um, you kind of this like this this trail of crumbs left for for you wanting more. Um, the animation was awesome. The fights were awesome. Just like the way they animated Gurren Lagann fighting whatever the, the Spiral King's uh, beast or uh, gunman was called. It's just. It was so well done, and, and it makes sense. I mean, obviously, they're going to put all their funds and all their efforts into a climactic episode like this, but I enjoyed it. This is probably one of my favorite. Besides episode six, the uncensored version, this is probably one of my uh, favorite episodes um, in this first part of, of Grand Lagoon. Yeah, they definitely pull out all the stops, again, for this spectacle, because this is like the ultimate battle um, at, as of this point. The one thing I thought was strange was that in episode 14... I think there's a subtitle that reads like, oh, this is day six of the battle, which I thought was weird. Like, why start a couple days after they arrive at Teppelin? Yeah. And even though it says that, I don't feel like it was multiple days. It feels like it was just a one day battle and right. it probably just should have been a one day battle, honestly. Yeah. So it makes me question again why why they need to, why they chose to cut out those first five days. Like, why not establish that they've arrived at Teppelin and then proceed with this? Again, maybe it's just a creative choice, but yeah, Jet Black is gone, and Team Gurren emerges victorious. And in episode 16, entire polysynthesis, this is basically a recap of the events of the previous episode before we get drilled with the second half of the series. This episode, um, I hate recap episodes. I think I've talked about this before. I, I think they served their purpose back in the day before streaming services but now that we have on-demand viewing of anything we want it's kind of like ugh, i just i don't i don't like them they're just to me it's like a waste of of an episode that could have added so much to the story especially knowing that typically you cannot fit everything that happens in a manga in an anime Mm -hmm. um it would have been nice to just utilize that um in a different way but again for the time i think it made sense because you know you're not able to just pull it up and, and watch it at your leisure um but I thought that this was unique uh, in, in the typical Gurren Lagann fashion. Of course, they're not going to have just your standard, you know, uh, recap episode with someone from the cast narrating over it. And it's just being clips and, and kind of walking through the story. Like, it was it was fun. Like, they, they started the episode off with the, the, the actual drawing, which took you out of it for a second because you're like, oh, shit, this isn't an animation. This is real life. 
um, but essentially drawing what is the opening card for the, the, the title card. And then it goes through a series of events, but it's almost narrated by somebody writing everything out for you. It was just, it was nice. Like it, it was a nice way to, to recap everything. Um, it was a, a way to do it in a, sorry, it was a unique way to do it without it being too much or too in your face or trying too hard. Yeah. And I get, like you said, it's, it's not just a simple, okay, this is what happened so far. It's, it's something that's still visually appealing. Um, just seeing the, the animator just write out like specific phrases or sentences to explain like the next recap. Um, it's just, yeah, it was, again, it's a visually interesting, um, to just let it stand out from just being a typical recap episode. Yeah. So that concludes the first half of Gurren Lagan. There are a couple of things that I wanted to mention that I think I, I may have um, overlooked when we were chatting about these episodes. So the part where Yoko um, pilots Gurren for the first time, um, I thought was really interesting because she's about to step into Gurren, Simone's in Lagan, and they just both kind of pause and they reflect on the fact that like, oh shit, this would have and should be Kamina stepping in here to fight with Simone. Mm. Um, and I think up to this point, Roshu had been piloting, but there was never really that, that moment that, that resonated because Roshu didn't really know Kamina. But here it's like Yoko and Simone built this, this kind of trio relationship with Kamina. And I don't know, it's, to me it was, it was interesting because the fact that they paused and they kind of looked at, uh, you know, out into the void and, and she looked at the seat um, was kind of their way of acknowledging what happened because I don't think, at least from what we saw, they ever talked about it. They never talked about his death, and I think that it was probably really hard for them to do so. But then after, I think after this fight, she just says a, a one-liner to him that said, hey, just so you know, I had feelings for Kamina. And that's all that, because of the way that their particular relationship, um, Yoko and, and Simone's, has played out, I think that's all they needed in that moment. Like, mm. they both felt it. They're like, this is very awkward. This is very um, hollow because Kamina is not here and he should be here. But it's just their kind of way of saying, hey, we went through this together. We both miss him. Um, we'll both do this for him. And yeah, it's, it's weird to just kind of say it as like, hey, I, I had a crush on him. But that's just the way that their, their relationship has played out. So I thought it was appropriate. Yeah, I thought... To give a slightly different opinion, it was just a very weird love triangle. Uh, it reminded me of like Esmeralda and was it Phoebus in the Hunchback? Oh yeah. And then like Simone is the Quasimodo, and like I know like in in this case like they they resolved like their they semi resolved their differences by finally acknowledging uh, Kamina's death, but like I it, it's just weird like the love triangle kind of just dropped off from there, um, and. They don't. They don't really talk about it, but like you said, Yoko opens up to Simon saying that she had feelings for him, um, but that's the most that they'll acknowledge of it. Yeah, because she's yeah. not really like a sentimental person. Like yeah. she puts on this front or whatever, um, but I think that was just her way of saying, "Hey, you know, like I get it. This sucked, and we we both went through it." And I don't know, in some weird extended way, like, "Hey, I know we're we're still family or whatever." It's just sometimes mm -hmm. that's all you need. Like, there are those relationships there where all you need is just like a look or a one-liner, just to acknowledge what happened, but not yeah. actually directly acknowledge it. And that's good. That's all they need. Mm -hmm. So I think that was one of those situations. 
I do want to give a quick shout out to Leron or Ron, hmm. who is my second favorite character of the show. He is so fucking hilarious. I just love everything about him. Like he's so useful to the team. Um, while also just being great comic relief in the show. And one thing that just always sticks out to me, and I died laughing just as hard this time watching it, was when um, I think Lagan is, or Gurren Lagan is going after Dai Gurren, kind of like swimming up out oh, of the yeah. water and then leaps out of the water. And he uses, Simone uses the drill to pierce the underside of Dai Gurren. It kind of looks like a butthole. And of course, the second he pierces the butthole, you just they cut to this this moment of of Ron just kind of like grabbing his butt and being like ooh like as if he felt that and I'm like they didn't need to do that but the fact that they did was so great I'm like I just love this part so much it was so unexpected and it, it caught me off guard in the best way possible and I'm like I just love this character he's he's so great he's so funny yeah I would say that Ron is probably one of my most favorite characters in the show. Um, not probably like number not like number one I guess um, even though I know a lot of people say common is but I just love that again he's he's like very flamboyant but that doesn't hold him back from being like useful like you said um, it's it's kind of like Yoko like she's just there for the lewdness right like she's mm-hmm. she's fan service but really she's more than that she's useful like she's the type of character where easily. You could look at her and be like, useless, boring, dumb, just there for the fan service, whatever. Like, you could not care about her and just write her off. But she's actually useful. She's a master, you know, sniper, whatever whatever mm. her gun is. Um, and she is, she thinks on her feet. She's the one that teaches Simone and Kamina how to fend for themselves in this world. Um, and she's kind of like a, like a sub-leader in this group and, and can really hold her own. So I normally probably on the surface wouldn't like a character like Yoko but I find her like a, a critical part of, of the story yeah but that just again that makes me question like what does your outfit just need to be that skimpy <laughs> um, hey for the lewdness of girl in Lagan it yeah <laughs> but like you know like she's the only one wearing like this bikini top like the other girl like Mia is not wearing anything that and, and maybe it's like form what was it what's the word like form of a function or whatever like it allows her to move more easily with the her rifle. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, in the that beach episode, they the guys even react to her and they even say like, "Oh, less really is more" or whatever. Or sorry, no. Um, what was what did they they basically commented saying like her more conservative look it actually offers more to to the eyes than Yoko's you know scandalous look. I, I just mm. thought it was a, an interesting way of poking fun at themselves for making this character that way. Yeah. One thing that I kind of took note of. Um, as I was watching the show, is like one recurring theme, or I think one thing that the show is centered around is is the theme of like confidence and thinking independently. In the case of like the Spiral King, I think um, he kind of wants to qual- or like quell that with the human race because like you know they're they're confined to um, these underground surfaces, which again it's it's like a metaphor in itself um, because like Simone and Kamina. Like from the first episode, it's clear that like, they want to break out of the surface. And what the way I see that, when you, I guess juxtapose that with uh, Simone, is like Simone also has his own surface to break, right? He's he's depicted as like very, very timid and, and living in communist shadow and having like very little self esteem. Um, 
And then, like, again, Kamina has to kind of knock the sense into him and give him that confidence until the episode where Simone finally stands up for, for his own. So I think confidence and self-esteem is, like, a recurring thing um, for this first part, and maybe that's something that it'll that'll pop up again down the road. Um, and I guess it's an important thing for what I would view as, like, the demographic for who watches Gurren Lagann. Because, like... Simon kind of reminds me of like a t- like the way that he's drawn and the way he looks is like a almost like a typical otaku <laughs> or, yeah, like some or kid. Weeb, right and some weeblet right and you know like a majority of them are at the age where they 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 feel so unsure about themselves but then watching a show like this where you have this character who who shares maybe like not necessarily the similar looks but like similar personalities like it shows them like even though you you feel like this small person, that doesn't mean you can ha- you can't have um, this positivity and confidence about yourself. Um, and you know that that same theme is also just reflected again in Nia's belief that Simone is always protecting her and and saving the day in the end. Um, and just the, the phrase "piercing the heavens" too, right? And going back to that metaphor of digging out from an underground surface to emerge onto this glorious um, bright beyond yeah so yeah I can see that and Kamina's the the driver of that he he hits the fast forward button on Simon's growth and maturity yeah and then that goes into like triple fast forward after he dies <laughs> right and I guess also too it, it's it's represented in how Simon um, pilots Lagan because Lagan will respond to him like it won't function properly until he knows like that he has the mental strength to do so um which reminds me of like you know like aaron yeager in attack and titan like he can't use his titan form un- until unless he is really invested in in the moment or invested in what he's doing or like any stand user in jojo right um so yeah it, you know it's 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 interesting for this kind of show to to delve into this kind of theme because you like you'd think again with it being a battle between like a good side and a bad side it kind of um what is it It addresses like the morals of that situation but in this case it's more focused on the individual and the individual's self-worth yeah and just to go off like those other references I, i noticed like just small nods to like cowboy bebop where i think um the way Kamina is seated in Gurren, like that that shot, it it reminded me of when Spike Spiegel sits in um, the Swordfish. Like it's a low angle, looking up from like where his legs are. Um, it, it's a very it's an iconic shot, and I think it, it sounds like it was made um, in homage to that series. Um, and you know the conflict of humans versus beastmen, and they're riding these like huge. Uh, these huge figures and the gunman very very reminiscent of like the fight against like the titans and attack on titan but i'm sure like it's that's a recurring thing in a lot of mecha anime yeah wait what came out first gurren lagan or attack on titan um or gurren lagan came out first so maybe like that i guess in some sense maybe had influenced attack on titan but again i think that's just something that's typical of a lot of uh mecha anime yeah 
Or who knows, maybe Midoriya was based off of Simone because again, they're like the same character mm-hmm. and their voice actors, two different people, sound very, very similar. But as I mentioned um, towards the beginning, I had a very lukewarm reception um, to Gurren Lagan, And again, it's probably because I'm holding it against a standard to other anime that I've, I've watched. But some things that I just... I couldn't get over is, and th- again, this is going to be an unpopular opinion. Like I know that Kamina is the breakout star of the series, but for me, I didn't think that he was too likable. <laughs> um, he was a little bit like overzealous and maybe a little too pompous to be entirely likable. And you now, for me, it, it reminds me of like someone in high school that just talks really loudly to, to make themselves like feel important maybe that's too strong of an analogy to make um but i don't know like he just seemed too in your face and i get like maybe that's what they wanted to establish um until the point that he he died and then the the torch was passed on to simone um but i don't know like it, he, he just became a little bit too much for me. That's at fair. Points. That's fair. And I, I think maybe that's on purpose. And this mm-hmm. is just my own assumption. But maybe that's on purpose to show that maybe Kamino really wasn't capable of being the true leader for Team Daigurin because he was too quick to act without thinking things through versus mm-hmm. Simone, who once he got the confidence he needed, was able to guide everyone in the right direction with a level head. Um, so maybe, again, maybe that's on, on purpose that he is such an, an outlandish character. And thinking about it more, maybe that's, again, plays into the theme of confidence where Kamina kind of represents overconfidence. And like you said, where you don't really have a level head if you, if you boast yourself like too much. Yeah. And that's maybe what he represents. But Simone is more of like, again, that level headed person who knows like, he has the capability to do what he needs to do, but, again, has to apply the reason and logic behind that first. Yeah. But Kamina does have a strong personality, and he, he, his character runs a lot on the cool factor. Um, mm-hmm. I think that confidence level, his overconfidence, so, yeah, maybe, again, kind of that theme of, like, passing on and, and instilling confidence in Simone. Like, his overconfidence, I think, brings that cool factor to the show. Um, which can be both good and bad, because if something or a, a show is relying too heavily on the cool factor, is it at its core really that good? Mm. In this case, I believe, yeah, that Kamina is really that good because he plays such an integral part in Simone's development and in the overall story. Um, but if he didn't, then yeah, he would just be there for the cool factor. Yeah. Um, and one other major thing about the show that really didn't sit... Like, it... Yeah, it didn't sit too well with me. And you mentioned this before. Like, I think the show, like, you have to go into it knowing that it's outlandish, it's outrageous, and there's not too much logic. Almost like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. But in this case, like, it felt like a lot of the conflicts, more of, like, the physical conflicts in the show, there's not always, like, a logical solution to how they resolve it. Um, Some instances, I think, like, when... I think it was when uh, the group was facing off against the multi-faced gunmen. Like, they couldn't find, like, the strength to do it until Buta, the little mole or whatever, shows up and cuts off his tail. 
I thought that was it's almost like a almost like a cop out for a solution for them. Yeah. To, to defeat that enemy. Um, like they were just too hungry, and so he just chops his ass off and somehow grows it back. Right. Or another one is, um, you know, a DNA, like she gets obliterated with this explosion. Like there's no reason behind it. Like I know, like she says, oh, you know, if you you explode this right now or like if you try to explode me right now um you're gonna put yourself at risk too but then they'll go ahead and do it it's like they don't there's no consequence to it like she just dies and and then that's it um another thing is like uh and this is more like a humorous side like when gurin and lagan combine like the drill goes through the cockpit of like where communist sitting and, you know, like, he moves his head forward a little bit, but what if there was an instance where the drill does go through his head? Like, Oh, yeah, with like Roshu, he reacts or, like, oh, shit, what is oh, yeah, this? Like, like there, there needs to be some safety problems there. But, okay, I think yeah. that is purely cool factor, okay? Because I mean, yeah. it shows how cool and confident Kamina is that a drill comes mm. drilling down the side of his face and all he does is smile and lean to the side a bit. That's just, I, I, I to be fair, I, you're right. I think that mm. that's a, a bit over the top, but I think it's, it's purely there for the sake of the cool factor yeah and the last thing that i noticed was you know in the ultimate battle with the spiral king like simon is almost like out of like out of breath and he's just in a bad physical state and you think like the spiral king gonna defeat him but all he does is just drive his core drill through the guy's chest um and you don't like you know again there's no logic or reasoning behind like how do you know like that's that was gonna defeat him right and I feel like, again, maybe with this show, you just have to accept it for what it is. But even in JoJo, like as outlandish as that show is, there's logic behind why characters take certain actions. One thing that comes to mind is like that really stupid episode with uh, Wamu and mm-hmm. Joseph in the chariot race. Like they all, they each one up each other with different weapons, but there's an explanation for how that works, right? Or even in Attack on Titan, like, the way that certain Titans are defeated, there's there's a reasoning behind how they're defeated that way. So in this show, I think it's missing that, and that's probably part of why, like, it's... I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have. Um, well, I want to comment on your last example about how he defeats the Spiral, Spiral King. So I agree that it looks like... I mean just watching it again like yeah like you're like okay so he just died when you poked him with your necklace or whatever mm-hmm. but when i think about it a little bit more i kind of like that part because and this is just my my opinion i like that part because it's unexpected right like you'd expect especially in this show some spectacular crazy like over the top way to just defeat the main bad guy the main antagonist that you've been going after and who's been trying to kill you for the whole show but it's not it's literally he just is down and out he's basically defeated and he grabs the one thing that he can use as a weapon to defend himself and it just so happens to be the one thing that can defeat the spiral king because mm. i took it as like he had nothing i mean he his 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 gunman was destroyed and like this is it like you're about to die you're obviously as you're gonna take that self-defense mode and and grab whatever you can to just try to thwart off your enemy and it just so happened that the core drill is that what it's called? Yeah. The core drill was right there in front of him, and it's sharp, and he just confidently stuck him with it to try and 
and stop him and that was the one thing that i think it is overly convenient that that's the mm-hmm. one thing that destroys him completely but i took it more as just like that was a moment of desperation for simone and he just did whatever he could think of on the fly yeah. um to protect himself yeah i can see that um in that sense it's almost like you know light spoilers here but aria uh killing the night king <laughs> yeah it's like almost like um shot for shot not like shot for shot but very similar in how they're both uh, incapacitated. Yeah, although Arya did know that that weapon would kill the Night King versus Simone, who didn't know that the core drill would defeat the Spiral King. Right. So uh, even as as logical as I think Simone is out of out of the main cast, um, just that that overall lack of that logic and reasoning kind of deters me from the show. But again, to kind of look on the bright side. The, the one thing that I look forward to is like what's going to happen from here because as I mentioned with episode 15 that felt like the ending of the entire series because like we there's been so much hype behind the Spiral King and just how evil he is and all of that but like he's been taken out of the picture and and like, they set you up for this cliffhanger. Like, yeah, you think that you're about to wrap up the story, and then he actually drops a big bomb on you, and you're right. like, he's like, well, actually, now you've just ruined everything by defeating me, and good luck. And you're like, oh, shit, what does that mean? Yeah, and I wrote here what his, his last warning was, which is, when the land comes to overflow with a million apes, the moon shall become hell's messenger and completely destroy the world of the spiral. Like, so that's such a like a cryptic message, and it makes the victory feel really hollow which you know at that point like you're you're cheering for team gurn because they they just defeated like what could have possibly been like the biggest enemy they've faced but then he rips away that victory from them by saying like oh no there's there's a bigger evil here that's at play and i was able to keep that at bay but now you've ruined this like you've ruined the um the status quo by doing this yeah um so I think that sets up the rest of the series for an interesting turn. Um, Because in the first episode, like, the very first scene is something, like, going on in outer... It looks like outer space. And then the whoever that shadowy figure is calls out Grin Lagan, and then that's it, and then it goes to the opening. So I'm sure that that's going to be addressed now with the second half of the series. Um, But I just like the way that the series... uh, so far has made that as like the, the next thing almost like in attack on titan where uh, again season three establishes a whole new um perspective on like a whole new story arc yeah a whole new story arc on the conflict the true conflict between the humans and the titans yeah so, like you think you know one thing but let's completely throw you for a loop and, and show you that you know nothing at this point right so i think we have what 10 episodes left or there's 27, so like 11 mm-hmm. episodes left. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this story wraps up. And maybe these last 11 episodes will, will change my perspective on, on the show as a whole. Yeah. So. so with that, I want to wrap up with some classic quotes. One thing that I love about this show, at least for, for those like me who watched it when it first premiered, for some reason, there's a lot of great lines in the show that people always quote and just like those lines are just to stick with you forever um one obviously being believe in the me that believes in you most of these are communists by the way Mm -hmm. um 
pierce the heavens. That's one that people would say all the fucking time. And they do the pointing. Yeah, and do the pointing. Um, who the hell do you think I am? <laughs> and of course, that one song, Row Row Fight the Power, like, I just, that song, you don't even hear it, I think, maybe for the first time until the recap episode, episode 16. But that song just sticks with you. And just that one line that they sing, Row Row Fight the Power, I'm like, yep. These are classic, classic anime lines that come from the show, and I just wanted to do a little shout-out to that. Yeah, it's a pretty solid soundtrack, too. Um, I think a lot of, like, metal... I don't know what you would call that. The Roro thing is, like, a hip-hop. Yeah. Kind of fused with rock, I like guess. Like an epic hip-hop song. Right. And then whatever song plays in the preview, like, it, it's it's almost like an Indiana Jones hype song. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the OP, like the opening song for this oh, first course, half is yeah. like a fucking banger. Like even before you said that you wanted to watch this show, like I would just play this opening for you. Like just like you just need to watch it. Like we you know when you when you do a deep dive into YouTube and you start like pulling up random videos and stuff, we got on like a deep dive mm. of like anime openings that we loved. And I'm like, you got to listen to Gurren Lagann's like the shit's a fucking banger and it is awesome. And I love it. Yeah. And so that wraps up episode 12, Gurren Lagann part one. We will be back with the part two episode next. Um, I'm particularly excited because similar to Trigun, I don't know why this keeps happening to me, but I remember less about the second half of the show, but I remember that I liked it more than the first half. So I am very excited to to watch the rest and come back and, and give my my thoughts many many years after the first time watching it and as always i'd like to give a special shout out to super newt ensemble for the jingle that you hear at the beginning and end of this podcast so as always in light of recent events with this stay-at-home order we hope that you all stay safe stay healthy and stay weeb (laughs) 